Welcome to How to Scale, the podcast by Frog Capital focused on helping software companies to successfully scale up. For more than 10 years, we have developed a solid understanding of the common challenges that scale-up companies face. With our group of operating partners, who have learned from years of experience, we have created the Scale-Up methodology, which brings together insights and tools to help improve companies' probability of success of reaching sustainable profitability. Each podcast looks at a different challenge that all companies will face on their way to scale. My name is Jens Düring. I'm one of the senior partners at Frog Capital, the investor focused on purpose-driven European software companies in the scale-up phase. Over the last 20 years, my own personal journey has led me to work in this space, challenging the status quo to identify better ways to tackle problems. Today's episode is focused on scaling sales teams with James Bagan. James is a sales and marketing specialist with a seasoned career leading private equity-backed businesses. In our conversation, we'll cover topics including moving from founder sales to hiring a sales leader and a sales team, avoiding reliance on star performers, establishing consistency and predictability, and asking and answering the all-important question, what is the most important KPI in sales? Obviously, James, sales is one of the key challenges for any scale-up company. How often have you gone through this before and, and how difficult is it? Well, um, I'm afraid to say many, many times and extremely hard. So many times, uh, I mean, it, it, over the years, I've, I've worked with tens and tens of scale-up businesses at lots of different stages and lots of different markets and lots of different geographies. And I would say that the common denominator for all of them is is just how tough it is to get from um, point A to point B. Scaling up is often the most difficult part of the journey for many founders and entrepreneurs. And obviously we brought you on board to help our company scale successfully. So are there any kind of patterns that you could recognize? And what are the typical pitfalls? Well, th there are, usefully, which massively helps in terms of situational diagnosis and, and any accordant remedy, which is great. I hope I'm not coming across conceited when I say that there's very little that I haven't seen before. Obviously, there's nuance in terms of individual characteristics and market idiosyncrasies, of course there are. But broadly, the the problems that or the challenges that, that founders and entrepreneurs face tend to fall into the same bucket or buckets. You know, it can be around the proposition, it can be around process or lack of it, or it can be around human dynamics. And But I would say that, that perhaps one that comes to mind almost instantly, Jens, is, is how difficult it can be for founders to transition from the the initial clutch of sales that they've been able to to achieve and that, that sort of manifests itself to, in terms of my experience by meeting CEOs who who sit and say to me you know I closed a few deals it wasn't hard you know product's great market's receptive I closed a few deals then I hired this sales person at huge expense and time and effort on my part and brought them in and guess what they just haven't closed any deals you see that an awful lot I'm sure you've seen it as well yeah. in your experience and as a, as a real um, sense of both frustration and disappointment on the founders part as to why that that sales leader that that senior salesperson hasn't hasn't got the traction that perhaps they were hoping for and how can a founder improve the chances of success by hiring a salesperson what would you look, look out for what would they look out for 
Well, I, th- I think the first thing to do is is to just be super clear about what what you're hiring. So you you use this, the the word there, salesperson. I, I I think it's a sales leader, and they are most definitely different. You know, as as different as Ronaldo is from Jose Mourinho, it's totally a totally different outlook, a totally different skill set. And can you contrast the two? Can I? Yeah. Oh, I absolutely, absolutely would. Certainly, it might be difficult to do in terms of experience, and I think that's where a lot of CEOs fall down. Is because you know they'll, they'll you know, you might look at someone like me who's got thirty years sales experience. I'm, I'm really candid, Jens. I was never the best sales guy in in the teams that I was in. I was all right. I did my fair share, but that that wasn't that wasn't the the best use of my my time or my abilities. It was more around the building and 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 driving of teams. And so I think back to the original your original question, what 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 is it then that we can do to to avoid that that pitfall? And I think if if you are going to recruit a trusted lieutenant who can sell alongside you as a founder in those early days, then you know I'm starting to lean towards you know a, a mix perhaps of some young hungry SDRs who can do the the, the outbound work and then perhaps a, a more experienced um, individual who has the perhaps the network, but also the, the acumen to be able to close more sizable deals. So you're starting to improve quality of earnings and average you know, average deal size. And that, that for me is a relatively straightforward thought process and ultimately higher. I think slightly slightly different is if you're thinking, well, actually what I want here is a sales leader and and, and, and this is where it gets tricky. And I think I think that's the, the, the right decision to make because if you bring in a leader somebody who understands that their job is to deliver growth through other people not not solely on their own as an individual contributor then they understand and they realize and and this is often what CEOs don't that their job is not actually about closing deals and coming in and being the superhero salesperson their job is to hire really really well and then sitting behind that we've got a whole um, plethora of different things around systems and support and processes and procedures and, and the rest. But initially, I, I would argue very strongly that the, the number one requirement for any successful sales leader, certainly in the world that we live in, Jens, is, is the ability to find, uh, attract and retain sales talent in a team. And I think in that, re- in that hire, there lies uh, a statement of ambition. So if you go out and hire a sales leader, you set up your organization in the first step towards becoming a sizable, sustainable company. Whereas when you hire a salesperson, you probably set up there to just trundle along and grow incrementally in a world where you might have a, a, a nice little small business in the end, but certainly not a company that's fit for scaling at a national, international stage. 100%, but also, you know, you, you, you're an investor, you've sat on many boards. You know, how many times have you heard, Jens, you know, the, the, the story of the superhero sales guy, you know, she's closed this deal, she's closed that deal, she's grown this account, he's won this, that or the other. And you're sitting there and thinking to yourself, that's great, what if they leave? And, and way too often our management teams just don't think about that risk profile that they carry with these individual contributors. So obviously it's great that they're in the business. Obviously it's great that they're making such a wonderful contribution with the deals they're finding and closing. But you're opening yourself up to significant risk if you are completely reliant on the efforts of one one individual. And, and so that's why I think it's really, really important. Certainly when I talk about scale up and sales success, I'm talking very much in terms of teamship. So that's, you know people obviously the organizational structure within it but then as to your point starting to create the infrastructure around the sales operation that that 
hopefully gives you a much better chance of delivering consistent revenue uh, month in, quarter out, year in, year out, which, as we both know, Jens, is the thing that ultimately drives value, isn't it? It's when you're when you're having those conversations around multiples, that's what new investors and new acquirers are looking for. Not, you know, well, I closed this fantastic deal last year. That's that's great, but I'm not buying you for what you did last year. I'm buying you for what you can do next year and five years hence. So, so yeah, it's starting to conflate all of this now into one thing, which is the sort of the ingredients required, the pitfalls to have avoid when you're thinking about scale up sales success which for me is is a consistent and ideally predictable revenue year in year out and therein lies uh, an important realization because an acquirer or even the stock market is not looking for an individual superhero they're looking for an organization repeatable success and then as you rightly pointed out a sales leader starts setting up these uh, organizational steps and structural steps to repeat the success of the sales function What are those um, individual steps? Is it is it systems? Is it processes? Is it a sales playbook? What what are you, what are the ingredients of setting up a successful sales function for you, James? Well, God, there's 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 you know uh, hundreds of books and and tons of research on online that would contend to have the answer to that. I I, I wouldn't be so conceited. I think it's probably a, a different answer for different businesses and different markets at different stages. But I do think there are some some consistent elements that are definitely worth thinking about. For me, Jens, whenever I look at a uh, sales operation, whether it's, you know, informally for a fireside chat or whether it's, you know, whether you've instructed me to do some DD, I always, always start with the value proposition. That's always where I start. There are some 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 basic questions that that any CEO should be asking themselves in response to the challenge that you set out. And in fact, I've just just written a paper for Frog around this, where I talk about the importance of understanding before you make any kind of decision around recruitment of individuals and setting up a team. And it's this: What are we selling? What is it? What does it do? Who are we going to sell it to? So who are the individual personas within specific markets, sectors and geographies? Critically, perhaps even most critically, why will they buy it? What is it about your product or service that is different from the way they're doing it at the moment or perhaps how a competitor would approach it? And then finally, how are we going to best make them aware of our fabulous proposition and its pain-solving magic and that typically then you know it's marketing it's the communication of 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 that message through specific channels so you know just keep it nice and simple in response to your question there's just four basic questions very very much at the top of the funnel you know what are we selling who are we selling it to why will they buy it and how will we tell them about it and that that just that debate my god we're actually doing that right now with one of the businesses that we're looking out in in the southwest of england where the very first project that we're doing within our 100-day plan is 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 that value proposition definition and 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 distinction conversation so it is very much at the start so start there get that piece right and then i think i think what's quite neat about that is once you have that sort of consensus uh, management even investor or board level about what it is that we're actually trying to take to market and who those customers are it then it just then provides a really neat segue into okay so what's our approach what's our go-to-market what kinds of people do we want what level uh, what sort of targets they need to carry are they going to be very much outbound focused or inbound responsive but uh, but getting getting clarity on that initial piece for me i think is is always where i start i it's, it's a little trick that i do whenever i meet somebody for the first time or a ceo for the first time is just explain to me in layman's terms imagine we're just in a bar <laughs> you know, having a pine, killing time, what do you do? 
no jargon, no acronyms. What do you do? And it is remarkable, Jens, how many CEOs, and I, by the way, I include myself in this, fail that test to be able to, to simply and plainly explain their value proposition. And that's very similar in our industry as, as well. And, but it's a very important realization that's worthwhile pausing on because um, going from a founder-led sale where you now understand your customer intimately and you have basically personalized, intimate knowledge of the marketing, of the market, of what the customer needs, to make it replicable, it needs to be documented. So it, it's actually understandable to somebody bring on, on board. And from there on, as you already pointed out, you can decide where are the next steps you need to go through. And that probably explains to me as well why it's so hard to succeed on because the cookie cutter approach doesn't work. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. I can I can remember in actually my my second CEO role, Jens. I, I actually took over from uh, a guy who who didn't leave the business. He actually stayed on and, and went on to do a different role. And I remember when I started, I was going out um, with him on the road to see the, you know those those sort of first few prospects and customers when you start a new a new role. And he was so knowledgeable and so insightful about his market, his product, his customers. And I was massively intimidated by just the level of conversation that he was having with, with these people. And I, I, remember, I remember sitting there thinking, there's no way I can do this. There's no way that I can talk this articulately and eloquently and compellingly, actually, about the problems these, this market is facing and the solutions that he presents. And I remember thinking, how the hell am I going to bottle all of this and and sort of package it up so that myself and other salespeople in the organization can then can then do the same thing and of course the 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 realization dawned many years later you said something earlier around playbooks playbooks is part of the answer it's not not the complete answer but that's part of the answer but whether it's doing ride-alongs with guys like that so you can pick out the elements that 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 are shareable are repeatable but also sort of bleeding these people and trying to document this information, maybe then wrapping it into a professional sales training process. But actually, for me, it was it was more about taking the elements that, that are accessible, digestible, repeatable, uh, and then augmenting it with, with systems, with tools, and maybe also with structure. You know, if you're interested, the way in which we solved that particular problem was we got this guy, Scott, we, we moved him from that old CEO position into head of pre-sales. So he then created technical pre-sales people who were sort of in his image who were then able to augment that sales process piece of the sales people responsible for the 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 systemization of the approach but the pre-sales people the technical consultants were able then to have those really as i say those really compelling conversations with customers so slightly more expensive way of dealing with it because you're, you're doubling up but i believe sales is a team game th these days anyway just go back to right to what i said at the start it's really hard yeah it's really hard that transition from passionate, knowledgeable founders into systemized, scalable selling. Yeah, um, absolutely. And that's why hopefully there's a right to exist for us as well to help improve the chances of success. Um, not the certainty of it, but certainly the chances of it. One important element that I've observed as well is, and you alluded to it a little bit earlier on when you were talking about the star salesperson, is uh, to know when things have gone wrong and how to act. Because we have certainly seen stars or former stars or teams hang on longer than in hindsight I should have. And hindsight is always a nice bias to have because you have the extra information. But what are the kind of points when you start thinking about is there something wrong in our go-to-market approach? And is it the people? Is it the approach? Is it the product? Well, again, I think I think it would be fabulous if there was a one-size-fits-all answer to this because uh, it would mean that 
you know, you and I could spend most of our time on our bikes and because we'd just be waiting for that magic data point and ping, you know, here we go. It's going wrong. We need to step in, if only. I, I was asked recently, and you, you may have your, your own view on this, but I was, I was asked recently by somebody, another sales leader, what, what is the single most important sales KPI? And you and I have both seen the sort of the transition away from sort of traditional conventional B2B selling, enterprise selling into this more sort of SaaS model that we have these days and so you know metrics and data points have become more and more important but maybe i'm being a little old-fashioned but it's remarkable that through a 30 year sales career i still believe that the number one indicator uh, of potential success remains pipeline now what you can call it whatever you want you can call it a funnel you can call it a bow tie you can call it your pipe but it's it's the aggregation the accumulation of qualified use that word quite deliberately qualified opportunities and it, it not just the metrics around it so whatever the multiple or cover ratio three times five times ten times whatever you think it is but, but also all the the wealth of sort of sub metrics that sit beneath that like like activity and conversations and and so on but for me as a sales leader i don't think i, I do you know, do you know actually Jens, i'd use this word quite deliberately i think it's all it's it's almost negligent for a somebody in my position to not be monitoring the pipeline pulse on a daily basis i mean certainly weekly it, it really is that important and i think i think once you start to see that that number contract slow down reduce whatever it is that that for me has always been the most useful indicator as to i think we might have a problem and as you know you know as a as a board level investor you know bad news early is good news yeah because you have that opportunity for remedi remediation you and i have had plenty of experience of where you know people have come up and surprised us yeah you know, on the day and you're sat there going well um there's no real solution here it's all about reacting to you know to to the fire rather than dealing with it months in advance so that that for me listen again i'm, I'm not suggesting pipeline pipeline monitoring is the answer uh, or the be all and end all, but certainly for me, it is it is the one most important thing that I would expect myself and other people like me to be monitoring. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I think I would add and one point to it, and you you should comment on it. Our most successful companies keep improving their pipeline conversions because uh, they learn, they learn, they share the learnings, and you can see a constant improvement in how they move companies through the com pipeline. And that also includes uh, qualifying companies or prospected leads out earlier. Uh, uh, yeah, and do you know what? Actually, listening to you talk, I mean, makes me think I should have mentioned that because actually, ultimately, the, the conversion statistic is the one that matters. So yes, pipeline at a high level, but understanding. And by the way, it's not just conversion into deals. Yeah. It's it's conversion from stage to stage. So whatever stages and different businesses would do it different different ways. But but sort of these days, you kind of move from, I don't know, MQL all the way through to customer. Um but 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 the the sales leaders who understand the dynamics between each of those individual gates or stages and the conversion ratios within and by the way not just the conversion ratios per se but the conversion ratios per product per geography per individual salesperson per season time you know or the whole thing i mean the 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 level to and you'll know this i mean as a scientist you can you can go right down to the most granular level and i would i would advocate businesses do that maybe not the sales director maybe hire a sales ops or a ba to do it but you should really in my experience, most of the answers you're looking for is in the data. But understanding those 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 conversion metrics is absolutely critical, I think, in terms of forward guidance and better decision making. And the challenge is that early on, you first of all lack the data. You have usually quite few deals, so it's not really instructive to say what you learn and how it will be in five years' time. Yeah. 
So you should expect these conversion metrics to look a lot worse when you start hiring a team around you. But then the question is, once you have the team and they see the volume of data coming in, what other learnings and can you share? And, and, and certainly in, in our portfolio, I think the most successful teams are doing that. Are doing exactly that. They are, they're doing a quarterly uh, review on what are the learnings, what can we do better, try to institutionalize any kind of insights they got. And over the number of years, you can then see uh, a machine emerging that gets better and better and, and actually separates themselves from, from the competition. Yeah. Well, I mean, just to give you a real life example, and one of the one of the other businesses that, that I'm looking at for Frog, the the current conversion ratio, so don't actually deal, sorry, lead to deal is is running at close to a third. You know, it's, it's just under thirty three percent. We just let that sink in. That's, that's yeah. pretty pretty damn good. But the the team that's doing that are founders, and uh, they've been doing it from you know pre revenue, and so great. So then you say, well, look, let's now look at the the assumed conversion ratios once the the sales team's in place post investment post funding and the 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 calculation they've made is that it will drop from 30% to 5 in that first year i mean i really really applaud the the way in which they baselined it i mean it, it gives you a good deal of comfort but it also doesn't it doesn't it just show you the difference that you're going to you're going to have from that sort of you know passionate founder led sales certainly in that first year because what you were talking about then is sort of growing into a more of a systemized approach you would certainly expect with the right people and the right systems you'd expect to see that number not steadily but but dramatically start to climb in in subsequent years but yeah initially it's a big and again it goes right back to the first exchange that we had which is why sometimes in that first year founders just go like well why are they not why don't they get it why don't they get it well because they're not you and uh, so that's where we come in i think we're able then to sit and sort of counsel our ceos and say look you need to prepare yourself that in year one with this new team it might it, it probably won't work the way it's always worked previously so prepare yourself indeed James, many thanks for this. This is a huge topic to cover and uh, we'll have future episodes de- digging a little deeper into some of the more specific topics. But to leave our listeners with something to take away, what are your three pieces of best advice you would leave them with at this? Three pieces of best advice. Well, the the first one would be to hire well. Uh, absolutely no question. Give it the time that it deserves. I've been guilty of this in my career where I see an interview in my diary and my heart sinks. No, it's, it's, com- it's completely the other... The, the, the wrong attitude it's the other way around so whatever you can do to hire well bringing in higher quality people into into your sales function i think absolutely number one number two would be i've alluded to this already which is embrace the data i very much was a was a seat of the pants sales guy for many many years i was very fortunate to work with a couple of people in in a in a an experience business where you know we relied much more heavily on the science and it made me better at my job and and so um absolutely use the data embrace the data and the third one is be lucky thank you james it's been very insightful indeed and thank you for sharing your key takeaways there there are commonalities in growing a sales function here and we are glad that we have you with us to help our company succeed at that challenge You can find James Toolkit on building sales machines at frogcapital.com slash building sales machines, as well as many other scale-up insights and toolkits from our other Frog operating partners. In the next episode, we will focus on scaling technology products and teams, talking to Andrew Bentley, our operating partner focused on technology. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, sign up for the podcast at frogcapital.com slash podcast. And finally, thank you for listening. 
We welcome all feedback, questions, or topic suggestions for us to cover in future episodes. So please email howtoscale at frogcapital.com. Once again, that's howtoscale at frogcapital.com. Frog invests in purpose-driven software scale-ups making a positive impact on society. We look for businesses who have reached product market fit and are generating over 3 million euros of ARR, what we see as a characteristic of the scale-up phase. It's a stage where businesses are continuing on their path of positive growth, a purpose-driven route to sustainability and profitability. Our own purpose is to help scale the most exciting purpose-driven software companies in Europe. We do this with both capital and our in-house team of operating partners who work closely with all the companies we invest in to overcome the inevitable challenges scale-ups face.